So we're continuing on in this series of exploring seismic questions and we've been kind of going along. We started with why we exist. We looked at pain. We looked at God and the relationship of why doesn't God stop the pain. We looked at kind of where is God in the sense of God's presence last week. And this week that leads perfectly into this who is Jesus? Because we get this verse in Matthew that says, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And so it kind of gets at that question. And if I were to just ask it, you kind of go, wait, what pops into my head? For some, it may be my Lord and Savior. Others, it may be rabbi, teacher, wise, sage, uh, healer. Right? There are all kinds of ways that if we go, who is Jesus, that those uh, nouns, adjectives, even verbs, like begin to pop in our mind and we begin to think about, okay, maybe this is who Jesus is, was and is. So for today, we are actually going to explore all four Gospels, but we are going to allow Luke 9 to kind of guide us in the discussion. And it's important to note, you know, Luke 9, Jesus is off and running in his ministry, and he goes up to pray. And it's this question he has for his disciples that really kind of can let us dig into the question. So instead of just immediately going, well, here's what, who I think Jesus is, but instead giving us a little bit of space to explore the question and maybe discover something new. So starting in verses 18 through 19 of Luke 9. Once when Jesus was praying by himself, the disciples joined him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, and still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back to life. Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. All right, so starting in that Luke and then that Matthew passage kind of paired with it, right? So Luke, Jesus starts the conversation. Jesus has been praying. He's been meditating. He's been focusing, having that conversation with God. And his disciples show up. And it's kind of interesting to think about kind of what in that prayer prompted him to ask. Maybe he's just kind of feeling out the waters, kind of trying to sense where everybody is. But the response is, right? Who do the crowds? Everybody wrong. Not you guys yet. I'm about to ask that. But instead, who do the crowds say that I am? And they think he's one of the prophets. Maybe even the greatest prophet, which is Elijah, that has come back to life. And so the crowds are experiencing Jesus in the form of a prophet. And a prophet meaning one who speaks into the situation at hand. And generally the prophets are speaking it situ into situations where there was oppression, the people are being mistreated. And even if we think about the life of Elijah, and it, Elijah is not a perfect 
individual, but he has these moments where he is propelled, he is guided by God to go talk to King Ahab. King Ahab is considered one of the worst kings of Israel, that he is corrupt, he mistreats the people, he worships the god Baal, and here Elijah shows up at his doorstep constantly going, hey, Ahab, you are wrong, like you shouldn't be. In fact, hey, did you kill somebody for that land over there? What are you doing? And so prophets are meant to bring light, are meant to kind of shake up and go, hey, wait a minute, this is not right. This is not how God is guiding. God does not, is not okay with you hurting the people, with you oppressing the people for your own comfort, for your own power your own control just because you have nothing else to do. And so to think about that in terms of that's how the people, the crowds are experiencing Jesus. They are experiencing him as that prophet that is speaking into the pain of the people, the struggles of the people, the challenges of the people and saying, wait a minute, this isn't okay. This is not how we should be living. We need to change directions. And then when we think about it in terms of this Matthew 25 passage about those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, right? Whoever you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That sense of, you know, Jesus, his message, the way he is speaking into as a prophet as the crowds are experiencing that aspect of him, that it is for everyone. And that he is speaking to, hey, don't forget, you may think you are at this level and you may look down upon, oh, no, no, no. Because Jesus is with all of us. Jesus is in all of us. Jesus is part of all of our lives and it makes us see Jesus in one another. It makes us have empathy across the board, no matter what level, socioeconomic status, no matter ability, no matter what, that we try to divide out of one against the other, of good versus whatever, that this is a moment where Jesus is like, across the board, this is for everyone. And so to see that the crowds, the crowds are his message, his message is for everyone, literally everyone. Continuing on in Luke 9, verses 20 through 21, he asked them, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ sent from God. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell this to anyone. John 6, 26 through 27. Jesus replied, I assure you that you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you, all, you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as his agent to give life. All right, so Luke 9 so Jesus now turns the question on the disciples, those who are he's closest to, have even more intimate conversations with. And he says, okay, well, who do you think I am? And Peter, Peter is always like ready to answer. He is like, I got it. I got it. I know it. He's like, you are the Christ. And Jesus is like, don't tell anybody. And we may think, well, that's kind of weird. But 
periodically Jesus will do this throughout the Gospels of saying, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody. And we go, well, wait a minute, they got the right answer. And if we're reading it, that means they've actually told the story. And how then is this beginning to work? But in this moment, this is a really good example of when, G when Peter pipes up and he's like, you are the Christ sent from God, that we have to recognize that this term Christ, which is the Greek word for anointed, this word Christ, uh, Messiah in Hebrew, meaning anointed one, that in the first century it has a lot of baggage with it because the people understand that the Christ, the Messiah, is going to come and liberate them from the Romans and that the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, is going to set up their own earthly kingdom and is going to make sure that the Romans never bother them again and they're going to be able to have their city, their region, the way they want it. And so... I can't help but wonder here if Jesus is like, ooh, you don't quite get it yet. Hold off a minute. That when he says, hey, I don't want you to tell anybody, that's because they're answering too quickly and they don't fully understand or they don't have a good enough grasp at the moment to know what they are saying. And so here Jesus is like, well, let's back this up for just a moment of understanding who I am of how that term, Christ, Messiah, how that term of being God's anointed actually may not be what you think it is. And then when we look at it in the context of John, of saying the human one, you don't work for food that doesn't last, but the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. So Jesus often refers to himself as the human one, this sense of being one with humanity, of doing this work. And here, in the connection to Luke of, okay, what I am bringing you endures. It's not to set up a kingdom that in a few years, the Romans or another body are just going to attack, just going to overthrow. But instead, what I am bringing endures beyond in fact, endures in ways that we may have never expected. And if we start to think about that, okay, what does Jesus bring? What does Jesus give that endures? Are we thinking love, peace, joy, hope, right? Those great words that we study every Advent. Is it grace, forgiveness, mercy? Is it encouragement? Is it respect? Is it worthy? What are the things that endure beyond that no one can take away? Because now we're getting at a sense of how, who Jesus is, that term Christ, how the human one, what is being brought is all kind of interconnected. Continuing on in verse 22 of chapter nine, he said, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed and be raised on the third day. John 13, verses 34 through 35. I give you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. This is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. All right, so... Jesus, you know, we saw him use the human one term 
in John uh, chapter 6, and now he uses it in Luke 9, verse 22, and he uses it, he's like, you know what, there's going to be some suffering. And the people in power, the legal experts, the scholars, the chief priests, they are going to come for me. There is going to be, I'm going to experience suffering. And so here we've got an acknowledgement. Jesus is acknowledging that the, everything that humans experience, that when we are in situations that are highly problematic, that are highly challenging, difficult, detrimental to our lives, that Jesus is in it with us, that Jesus is going to experience that suffering. And yet when we look at what he says in John, John 13, and he gives this commandment right before all this happens, right before he is betrayed, arrested, his friends leave him. He is there suffering. He is there on the cross looking down on upon his mother as her mother, as his mother is grieving for what is happening to him. And he is able to say that I give you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. So you also must love each other. And Jesus doesn't give this in a way of, you know, I know it's going to be easy. Let me just throw this out here. But instead, Jesus is giving us that because he is going to live it. He is going to live that commandment. He is going to live what he says. And so it's really important that when we see the teachings, hear the teachings, experience, know the teachings of Jesus, that he's not just doing it be like, yeah, some, you know how we do this, right? We go, all right. Do as I say, do as I say, do as I do. I am giving you the commandment to love one another. And that is going to be very challenging and has been for the last 2000 years to figure out what exactly that means in all the different contexts we experience. But Jesus does not do it lightly because he is about to suffer. He is about to face some of the most difficult moments of his entire life, his friends are going to leave him, and yet he is still going to try and live that love for others. And so as we're thinking about of who he is, of how he lives, which points directly back to then who he is. Continuing on in John 7, verses 14 through 23. Halfway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and started to teach. Astonished, the Jewish leaders asked, he's never been taught. How has he mastered the law? Jesus responded, my teaching isn't mine, but comes from the one who sent me. Whoever wants to do God's will can tell whether my teaching is from God or whether I speak on my own. Those who speak on their own seek glory for themselves. Those who seek the glory of him who sent me are people of truth. There's no falsehood in them. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you want to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who wants to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one work and you were astonished because Moses gave you the commandment about circumcision, although it wasn't Moses, but the patriarchs, you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man can be circumcised on the Sabbath without breaking Moses law, why are you angry with me? Because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath. So when we're jumping to John and looking at who Jesus is, we get a sense here, 
right? He is challenging kind of the status quo, and he's calling them out on hypocrisy, and it all has to do, go back to healing. He has healed someone. He has helped someone because he is able to do it, and that he's not going to let arbitrary things get in the way. He's not going to let things, blocks, challenges get in the way of him healing. If he can heal someone, he is going to do it. And this sense of people going, hey, wait a minute, no, no, we're not cool with that. And he's like, wait a minute, you need to be challenged about what you're thinking, about what you're believing, about your ideals, about how you are conducting your life. So he's talking to them. And so when we're thinking about it for ourselves, about, okay, so not only does Jesus love us and challenge us in that, but now Jesus is challenging in us in the things that we hold on to, the things that guide our lives, the things that we value, the things, maybe it's morals, ethics, even laws, of how we allow certain things to guide our lives. And do those things ever get in the way do we allow them to get in the way of helping and healing others, of being a healing presence for others? And so he's kind of challenging that. So he is teaching, right? This is the whole teacher part of him where even they are like, wow, I can't believe what he said. But now he's also living. He's also living what he is saying. And so for ourselves of thinking through who Jesus is, of how we kind of connect to that message, kind of connect to experiencing Jesus, of thinking through in our own lives of when we experience that we need to be a healing presence in a particular situation, in a particular way, and we need to be that healing presence, and how are we allowing things to maybe get in the way of that or not? How are we allowing or navigating with the things that pop up? And, you know, in our modern society, busyness is one of those things. And I know I struggle with it. Uh, I get so busy that maybe I'm not being able to be that presence that I need. And so Jesus here is asking us to take that step back and really do some digging into our own line of thinking, our own values in the way that we are being a healing presence with others because that's who he is. Finishing up in Luke 9, so back to Luke 9, verses 23 through 24. Jesus said to everyone, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will save them. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. All right, so that Luke 9, 23 through 24, it, it sounds highly philosophical, like it, it's kind of doing this, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, right? He's, he's kind of talking, you're going, wait, okay, I think I'm following, but what exactly? But when we read it next to this Matthew 11 passage, it becomes a bit more clear 
Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. This sense of who Jesus is, of, of what he's kind of giving us, of what he is challenging us in, is really connected to lightening our loads and refocusing because we have all kinds of loads and burdens that are put upon us. Maybe we put them on ourselves. Maybe we allow others to put them on us. You know, we get focused on something. We get anxious. We get worried. We get fearful. We get like highly like, oh no, what am I going to do? And here Jesus is like, hey, refocus. Here's what I'm giving you. Here's how I'm going to help you move through that. Here's how. Give me your life. Give me that energy, and I'm going to give you an energy of freedom, of liberation. I'm going to give you an energy of moving through the moment. Not a magic wand or an easy button like we've said so many times before, but instead, Jesus is going, wait a minute, I've got a different way of navigating the greatest struggles and challenges of life. I've got a different perspective on it. So come join me in it. Come join. Jesus is like, come join me and be like, hey, wait a minute. You know what? Let's focus on something else. Let's focus on where that love is. Let's focus on what is a blessing of importance. Let's focus on what endures here instead of all the things that kind of fall around us and try to grab our attention, grab our time, take all of our energy and just take it away from us and leave us feeling kind of empty. And so when we're thinking about that, you know, the next, the next question is, okay, well, well, how do we do that? What exactly does that mean? And we are going to get into that in the next two weeks of looking closely at what do these things mean about how they train, train, yeah, transform our lives. There we go. Change and transform our lives. How is it that Jesus is really doing that? But here we're getting that answer of who is Jesus? That I am going to help build an identity for all of us, right? Jesus is building an identity for each of us that is connected to things that endure, that is connected to being a healing presence, that is connected to constantly learning, that teaching aspect that's constantly encouraging and giving us the things that we need to face the challenges of the day. In the bulletin today, I've got something, and you can see it on our website, this line from a brief statement of faith, and it says about Jesus, healing the sick and binding up the brokenhearted. And when we think about brokenhearted, we have lived through history all of human history of being brokenhearted. We have lived through a history that at different times it seems more severe than at other times. And being brokenhearted is far more invasive than just a romantic relationship. But being brokenhearted in so many different ways in our life, and the last two years of this pandemic has certainly been about being brokenhearted about all kinds of things, whether that is grieving the loss of loved ones, whether that is grief and the loss of what was or what could have been. It's being brokenhearted at the hate that some people feel in this world and let it 
overtake their lives. Like there are so many ways that we can be brokenhearted. And here Jesus is like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us move through. Let us understand how to move through in new ways. Who Jesus is, is wrapped up in what he does. And so this sense of us asking it is really exploring a question that at every moment in all kinds of different ways in our lives, we come to some new understanding. We come to some new way of thinking and experiencing Jesus. And so how will we allow these readings kind of to propel us, to challenge us, to kind of move us in thinking about different ways, help us to get deeper in how we understand who Jesus is. Who Jesus is for us, for our community, for the world, across the board, that empathy for all, that commandment to love, that healing presence, how will we be challenged by these words, by the scripture, by these stories of Jesus today? Amen.